None of that's going to happen unless we have some type of sports betting engagement piece in place. So we kind of say we're bringing the picks and shovels to the party. We're going to look at your data. We'll organize your data and format it and, and create those betting markets that then will enable you and your business development team to look at the product that you can commercialize outside of that. Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear episode 43 of the Betting Startups Podcast with Todd Ballard from Alt Sports Data, which provides proprietary trading solutions focused on alternative sports. Todd has an amazing story that starts with him as a first 10 employee at GoPro during its startup phase where he helped scale the organization to successful IPO in his role as CMO. Now in his new chapter as co-founder of Alt Sports Data, Todd shares how he and the team plan to engage the billion plus fans of alternative sports through betting, which they believe represent an entirely new audience for sportsbook operators. I had a blast chatting with Todd and hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Before we get started, I have a quick favor to ask. If you've been enjoying the podcast and hearing from awesome people like Todd, I'd be forever grateful if you could take 20 seconds to leave a five-star rating on whichever platform you're listening on. This helps keep me motivated to keep going and will help other people discover the podcast. But now, on to the episode. All right, we are back with episode 43 of the Betting Startups Podcast. And for this one, I'm joined by Todd from Alt Sports Data. And I'm not going to lie, as somebody who spent a lot of his formative high school years at the skate park in the late 90s, I'm super excited to explore the world of alternative sports with you today, Todd. So welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, great, Jesse. Appreciate uh, you, you having me on the show. Absolutely. Been hearing lots of good things about alt sports data recently. So really looking forward to diving into things and unpacking it all. But maybe just to start, Todd, it'd be great to spend a few minutes uh, to introduce yourself and maybe take listeners through a little bit of your background and maybe some of the major chapters of your journey up until the co-founding of alt sports data. Yeah. You know, I think there's a couple critical chapters I could, I could talk about really the probably the most recent was my time at GoPro and I was a chief marketing officer over there and was, you know, really involved in the early stage development of the brand, um, specifically around our sports relationships early on and how we formalize those relationships and, and how we segmented consumers and ensuring that, you know, how we spoke to skateboarders was different than how we spoke to mountain bikers. It was different than how we spoke to snowboarders and, and so on. So over, over that decade, I had a unique opportunity to build relationships with lots of sports properties, lots of athletes, lots of media entities in and around sports and even outside of, of sports. But that was, you know, um, great learning starting a company from very early stage through IPO and all the uh, awesome things and horrible things that, that go on through that, through that process. Previous to that, I had an agency for about 10 years, a marketing agency. And that's how actually how I met the founder of, of GoPro, Nick Woodman. And he had just started the company and we met at a trade show and he ended up hiring our agency to handle a lot of the early branding and sponsorships of the brand. And when I sold the agency, um, opened up the opportunity to, to come in house as GoPro was starting a hockey stick and really see some of the growth that, that we got to enjoy over the next 10 years. Well, if you think we're going to proceed here without talking about GoPro for a few more minutes, you'd be mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, no, I mean, look, it's it's an iconic brand. It's a category defining product. It's a mass market product. You were there, as I understand it, from the very early days. I, th I think I heard you were, a, you know, first 10 employee type thing. Can you just sort of take us through, Todd, kind of like the whole journey, as you say, from like the early days through to IPO and just what does that journey look like, right? It's something that not many of us will ever get the opportunity to do. So I just love to spend a couple of minutes here, kind of going through it at a bit more of a granular level and just, yeah, a bit of an experience sharing sure. uh, through that. Yeah. Time. It's, um, you know, it's something that I had to remind myself never to take for granted because we had the opportunity to experience so many different phases of business from 
you know, very early scrappy startup. I, and I remember every building we moved into was like, we'll never fill up this building. Right. And then a year later, it's like, holy shit, we need another building. And then we just, every year we go to this new process of getting bigger. And, and again, it's finding the right talent and onboarding people and really continue to focus on the foundation of a business because when you're growing so fast, it's so easy to overlook, you know, what, what I would kind of call the unsexy investments of a company on, on the foundational level with you're just thinking transactional, transactional, and how do you grow and how do you grow? And you kind of sometimes overlook some of those, those key building blocks you need uh, to be successful as a company. And I think we learned some of those the hard way as a, as a company and as, especially being Public facing, a lot of those become more exposed than when you're you're a privately held company. So we we went through some of those challenges, and and I think one of the things I took from it um, was the idea that you know we we as we went through the IPO and we looked for that that bigger category growth, and and we would always say we want to we want every household in America to own a GoPro. That actually probably hurt us more than anything because what we found out was, you know, we don't make a product for everybody. We make a product for a certain type of customer. And by ultimately being able to acknowledge that we don't make a product for everybody and feeling confident enough that in our, we had a big enough TAM within those somebodies to grow, it allowed us to really focus on who our customers were and what we would call super service people by really understanding what motivates them, what they're passionate about and, and double down on, on those customers rather than just trying to be, you know, um, a peanut butter spread over, over everybody. And, you know, that we, we did that, you know, we weren't a drone company. We came out with a drone and that was a failure. We weren't a media company and we tried to become a media company at one time. And again, those were great learning experiences to understand different sides of business, but ultimately coming full circle back to here's the type of company that we are and whether that's software or hardware, just really doubling down on that and the customers that, that are, are, are our main target. Interesting. Yeah, I can imagine it was a hell of a journey there through, as you say, every step of, I guess, the company growth and maturation and all of the change and, and mistakes along the way. I guess as you reflect back on, on that whole chapter and journey, Todd, um, and you know, you guys are at the starting line here or close to the starting line with alt sports data. As you reflect back on your time at GoPro, is there any sort of like key learnings or anything like that that you've really taken away from that time that you've come into the new project with really sort of thinking about that in the back of your mind as you go forward uh, with the alt sports data story? Yeah, I think the way we built our community and how important attention to detail was and authenticity was, especially to, you know, alternative sport fans. It's, you know, they're very nuanced and um, somewhat closed circles. So in order to really penetrate those audiences, you need to be very authentic. And, and at GoPro, we were very careful in the voice in which we spoke to audiences was was as core as it, you know, if, if it was surfing, we acted as if we were a surfboard company. If it was skateboarding, we acted as if we were a skateboard company. And we, we really took that to heart in everything that we did and, and providing that really distilled voice in which we spoke to those people. And I think as we look at what we're doing now, we're able to bring that into this world. You know, I've, I've talked before about how we, at GoPro, we, we were approached at a time by almost every sports league under the sun you can think of. And I, I call them every major acronym of sport across the world. And, and they wanted to work with Go, Go, GoPro because they wanted to tap into our audience because we had this younger audience that, that they weren't necessarily getting as they were kind of aging out and, and their customers were getting older and they were thinking about who are our next fans and how do we start engaging them? They looked at us as an ally to do that. And as we started thinking about this business, we started considering, well, 
Similarly, knowing that the sports betting category is really focused on big five sports, we see a, a similar opportunity of how do you target the next generation of consumers authentically and um, get them into the system. The good news is once you're in the system, we found that they are interested in traditional sports, but maybe not passionate enough to actually build an account and start betting on them. We think that our sports really are the the golden key to get them into the ecosystem and and get them active. And then once they're in, the lifetime value will go up because of their interest in some of those traditional sports. Interesting. Well, I think that segues nicely then into an introduction to the alternative sports landscape. And I don't want to assume that everybody listening to this podcast will be maybe as familiar with alternative sports as you are. So it'd be great if you spend a minute just to kind of set a bit of a backdrop and maybe give some examples of what are alternative sports and just what does the landscape look like here circa 2022? Yeah, we we categorize alternative sports as action sports. So surfing, skateboarding, snowboarding, uh, motorsports, it's two wheel and four wheel. So sports like motocross and supercross and drifting. And, you know, there's there's so many forms of, of motorsports that aren't currently bet on globally. Endurance sports. So you could put cycling um, and all different disciplines of cycling, whether it's road, mountain bike, cyclocross, gravel, triathlon, marathons. And then you start looking at some of these other sports such as bull riding and some of these new viral sports that are are coming out there. There's a league we're talking to called World Chase Tag, where they've they've they went out and assembled the world's best parkour athletes and put them in a course and they they chase each other. And it's 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 absolutely engaging and and a great betting product. So we're we're seeing these other tertiary sports that weren't necessarily initially on our radar that are becoming more interesting to us. And and the, I guess the great thing is a lot of these sports are very lifestyle based, very participatory. And people define themselves in these sports. And, and you ask, you hear people, I'm a cyclist, I'm a snowboarder, I'm a skier, I'm a mountain biker. You don't necessarily get that in maybe some of the more passively consumed sports, which make up a, a majority of, of sports betting markets today. So we see that as this unique identifier too, that there's a very highly engaged, passionate audience group that participates in these sports well into later parts of life that consume these sports day in and day out and, and are looking for new ways to engage with them. That's really insightful, Todd. I was just going to actually ask you about that, just in terms of the audience and sort of characterizing, you know, who are the people that are engaging with these alternative sports? And I think maybe from an overall, you know, sort of market size perspective, can you give some colors to, you know, how many folks might be watching or identifying as alternative sports fans and engaging with alternative sports products? Yeah, it's, I mean, good timing. We, we just went through a, a pretty in-depth insight study with Wasserman Media Group to help identify some of these metrics. And, and there's, you know, over a billion fans of these sports globally. Obviously, U.S. is a big piece of that, but, but across EMEA, APAC and LATAM, Brazil, Mexico, also have large, large fan bases across a lot of these sports. You know, average age is mid-30s. I, I think people assumed it was a little younger than that, but it is... You know, it's still still lower than general population, but well-educated risk takers, which is great for sports betting. And again, also, also, um, you know, almost half of them are fans of big five sports as well. So we see a, a big crossover there. Awesome. Well, let's then shift into talking about alt sports data specifically. And maybe just to start off with Todd, it'd be awesome to kind of just get a quick snapshot of the origin story and how did it all come together at the beginning? And what were those initial conversations like at the earliest stages with your co-founder in the business? Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty transparent about this because it gives a lot of 
credit to Joe Dunnigan, my partner in this. And, and he, he started his career in paramutual and, and went to school and, and studied it, um, worked domestically and abroad, and um, then transitioned in, into action sports because he was passionate about skateboarding and wanted to, to follow kind of his, his passions and, and built and sold numerous companies within the space. I ended up hiring him over to GoPro to run brand strategy, but we've known each other for 20 plus years. And when I left GoPro in 2020, Soon after, he started saying, hey, what, Tom, why can't we bet on these sports that we built our careers on? I just, I don't get it. And I initially, like, I, there's got to be a reason that it hasn't been done. And it's either, it's too narrow or too young, but there, there's way, way smarter people than us out there that have had to have gone through the due diligence to figure this out. And he, he was adamant to figure it out. So he said, I'm going to go, I'm going to go sniff this out and use some of the relationships I have from my past that are still in the space. And Fortunately, those relationships were Joe Asher, who is you know iconic in, in the sports betting space, and which led him into Carl Sotosanti, who was general counsel at Penn National, and then we were introduced to Benji Cherniak and and others. And kind of Joe went in and said originally, "Hey, let's start a sports book for action sports." And I, the best advice to date was, "Do not do that. That's the worst idea. You don't want to start a new sports book." But if you have access to the data, you actually might have something here. So we kind of iterated on that and. and kind of independently went through our validation processes through our communities and networks. And, and I was, spoke to sports agents in the space and was connected to other uh, friends of friends who ended up being high-level executives in the, in the sports betting space from companies like FanDuel and, and others. And we kind of got a unanimous, this is amazing. I, we don't know why it hasn't been done. And, and we don't have to prove that. Why hasn't this been done? And we get that question a lot. And, and I don't think we have a complete concrete answer, but I think one of the thoughts is the industry kind of overlapped this spot and went straight to esports, and they kind of saw that as the next frontier. And and by jumping over this large tract of land, it it proved to us that there's actually a probably a better stepping off point to esports through these sports than you know big five traditional sports. So we um, went out and and found an individual who from the surf industry had built and sold dynamic data feeds, was actually running the fantasy surf program for World Surf League um, for a handful of years. And after having conversations with him, we realized we could iterate on his simulation models to build them around, around other sports. And we looked for off-the-shelf solutions, but there really wasn't anything that worked for the sports we wanted to focus on. So we did have to build from the ground up and, and in parallel have to build up a trading platform. And same thing, we, we, we weren't stuck with any legacy tech, so we got to build thinking about a UI experience, what a trader's experience would be like. We had uh, great gate checks from Joel DeLorme, who was former chief technical officer from Don Best and, and other, other great people that, that told us this is a best-in-class product. This is ultimately where we wanted to get as an organization. And, and we think that there will be some efficiencies for traders because of the UI that, that we've built on the trading platform and how we ingest APIs from, from sports leagues into that. So... Um, we built the product. We set out to raise money. Um, we're fortunate to close our, our, you know, I guess we call it a pre-seed round about a month ago and um, had some great people supporting that. And, and now it's proved what we all believe is a compelling market opportunity and, and get integrated with an operator. And we're having some great conversations there as well.
Sorry, awesome. That was a long-winded uh, explanation. No, that that was very uh, very helpful and insightful. I've done it a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll come back to the fundraising in a few minutes here, but sure. just to stick with uh, sort of the, the I guess product development for a moment here. You just made reference to the conversations you're having with operators. Can you give us just some sense as to maybe sort of where you're at on the traction side and where where's the product? I guess from sort of the R and D perspective, right? I mean, something like this takes a while in the lab to develop it all. Where's sort of the product at in in its life cycle and and, and sort of how is that mapping right now to the conversations you're having with these operators? Yeah, I'd say starting on the on the product side, you know, we've we've modeled about a half dozen sports. Um, we've integrated APIs with one of our first partners, Thrill One Sports, that owns and operates several sports properties in Nitro Rallycross and Street League skateboarding. Um, we've been testing it, and um, we're we're looking at data visualization tools that we can ingest um, that real life data and create visualizations in in lieu of having potentially a live stream for potential partners. So we feel really good at where we're at on the data stack and 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 how it's performing and our ability to ingest new sports and you know creating all our API documentation for operators. I think having advisors like Benji Cherniak has allowed us to really progress and, and have real great conversations with operators. But as as most people probably listening to this know, it's how do we ultimately fit within the workflow of getting that integration done, especially in the midst of football season and and other things. I think we've gotten a a lot of interest. I think the operators see the opportunity and and understand that it really is a a new customer play. We're we're realistic that initially there's not going to be a massive amount of handle around these sports. We do think long tail there there is a bigger opportunity, but really it's it's a cost efficient way to reach these new customers that just aren't or maybe they're intimidated to go and bet on on big five sports that they're passive fans on, but the fact that they live and breathe these other sports and they think maybe they have an edge and 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 they can beat the house on it, that's that's where we think they're going to be motivated to to actually download the the app and and start being active. And one, then they're in and they'll start betting on other things. And I think we've seen that with tennis and golf and other sports that, you know, why they don't make up a a big portion of handle in the sports themselves. Those customers ultimately make up a more significant piece of handle once once they're in the app. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess obviously a critical component of any product like this on the input side is the data to be able to model and, and you know develop a betting product on the other side of all of that. Now I just yeah. want to ask a little bit on on the data side, Todd. And you know, there's a lot of talk in more traditional sports around data rights and the rights holders, and there's a whole ecosystem there we all know a lot about. Um, and I want to ask about just data rights and, and you know, the holders uh, within the alternative sports ecosystem. And um, again, if you could shed some light on just the conversations that you have with these rights holders and what does that, I guess, yeah, what does that dialogue look like where you basically help them see the possibilities that exist with their core data, with that IP and monetizing it through betting? Yeah, and I, I think the timing was perfect for us in this where Almost every league that that we speak with has has had a conversation internally about sports betting, and most of them have reached out to Radar and or Genius. and And again, Radar and Genius are are so busy keeping up with existing demand that they just don't have resources or time to dedicate to to new sports, especially that aren't necessarily proven yet. So when we come in, there's already been some conversation. We do have to do some education on the space itself. They do have some preconceived ideas of the process and in, in getting approved. And, and us partnering with US Integrity has been a big piece in that and enabling that. But what we we position ourselves is we're here to enable um, the sports betting so you can commercialize all the other things around it. And whether that's affiliate 
or it's potential sponsorships with with sports books or it's streaming deals that that might be out there. None of that's going to happen unless we have some type of sports betting engagement piece in place. So we kind of say we're bringing the picks and shovels to the party. We're going to look at your data, we'll organize your data and format it and, and create those betting markets that then will enable you and your business development team to look at the product that you can commercialize outside of that. So we don't buy data at this point from the leagues because a lot of them are unproven and, and we know it's a volume game. So being able to go to an operator and provide a suite of a dozen sports with a roadmap to another dozen over the next 12, 18 months, um, I get lessens the concern of, is this integration worth it? Because um, I am getting a, a suite of sports and these associated audiences with them where the leagues see driving audiences to the sports book is where they can create revenue. So how do we enable and empower the leagues to drive their customers via affiliate to the sports books and, and create a CPA off of that. So that's kind of the other stool of our business of how do we shake the trees and create demand generation for the sports books alongside the, the markets themselves. Interesting. And just sticking for a moment with those conversations with the rights holders and the leagues themselves, just as far as the overall betting opportunity, you know, are they generally open to it or is it required a little bit of a, a harder sell to convince them that this is, you know, a new opportunity that's worth pursuing? Just sort of like, what's that I guess, yeah. appetite been to explore betting with it being a generally a new category as well and maybe misunderstood and maybe some of the perceptions these folks have, like what have those conversations been like, Todd? Yeah, no, it's, it's, we're, we're a little worried what that would be like. And we've had a few leagues say, well, we want to make sure our other sponsors are okay with it. Yeah. But overall, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity to reach new fans. It's an opportunity to engage existing fans in a new way. It does create potential for new revenue streams. So they're, Besides, again, just not really understanding the regulatory side of it and, and how, to, how to do that. And, and again, finding a data partner that's actually going to invest in creating those markets. They, they all see it for the most part and have been very open to it. It's just where we start, what's the first step we take and, uh, to make this become a reality. So we're kind of here to help shepherd them along, along that process and, and leverage our resources within the space to, to get that to become a reality. But it's been overly positive. Awesome. Yeah. I uh, can't imagine it wouldn't be. And uh, to your point earlier, I have no idea why this doesn't already exist. It sounds like that's a common question you've been hearing from others as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's been one of the biggest questions. So yeah, we're, we're very excited. Awesome. Uh, you touched upon a few minutes ago, uh, the recent news around the financing that you recently closed. Congratulations on that. Wondering if you could just talk a little bit around just the fundraising journey. And I guess, as you look back on, you know, the roadshow and the conversations you had with prospective investors, what was some of the feedback you'd heard just around the overall opportunity that you're pursuing? And I guess the second part to the question would be, you know, what was it about the investors that you ultimately ended up partnering with that made them the right fit for alt sports data? Yeah, no, I, you know, we, we formally really went out in January with this raise and, you know, the timing wasn't great because of just kind of the economic landscape and what was happening in the world, you know, even looking at, as we're preparing for it and looking what the previous year had looked like and looked a lot more enticing than kind of what we were faced with moving, moving into 2022. But again, we overwhelmingly positive response to what we were looking to do. I think some of the, the bigger groups wanted to see proof first. They wanted to see an operator integration happen and, and prove that, that there's a demand for it. But at, at, at the same time, there were, there were others that, that saw it immediately and 
we kind of started looking within of whose relationships we have that we've proven trust and 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 have a a track record of showing kind of what we're capable of doing and execution with and Nick Woodman, the founder of GoPro, was was one of the first ones to invest in what we're doing, and which I think was a great testament. He was our our commander in chief for for a decade, and um, it, it showed that he had confidence in our ability to execute on this, and and that that went into some of the other private investors that that came on board, and it's a good mix of people across sports and sports tech and media and, and Trinity West Ventures, which was a VC group out of Dallas that that took the lead on on the round and actually did a, an SPV as well, brought in a great group of, of, of successful entrepreneurs from tech, um, sports team owners. And um, we have a great kind of bench of resources to tap into as we continue to grow and a deep bench of, I'll call them non-official advisors from the sports betting industry that, you know, some of which I mentioned earlier that have just been amazing resources for us and have really opened themselves up and given us a ton of time and Benji Cherniak being our first real official advisor that, you know, is, is obviously very well regarded in the space and has really helped us uh, avoid some some major landmines along the way that I think otherwise we would have, have hit smack dab in the middle of. So th- that's been great as well. Awesome. And I guess just on the back of the fundraising and, and looking forward over, I don't know, a six to 12 month time horizon, what are the major milestones that you guys are focused on hitting over that timeline, sort of on the back of the fundraise and sort of what's the next chapter uh, over the next year for Alt Sports Data? Yeah. I mean, priority number one is an operator partner getting integrated. Like I said, we've, we're, we're in some, you know, mature conversations with, with a few and, and have a few others that, that we're in conversation with. And we're just looking who's going to be that first operator to to see the long tail opportunity here. And I think, again, they're so busy keeping up with big five sports that that we're hoping somebody looks ahead of themselves and transactionally of look at this long, long tail opportunity for us to be a first mover and um, attract this massive audience that that is just ripe for the taking right now. And and looking at us as a partner to help not only bring these markets to life, but also drive those those um, audiences to become new sports betting customers. Awesome. And if we extend the timeline out, say five years and you have your crystal ball in front of you and you're looking into it, um, what does the alternative sports category look like within the betting landscape over a five-year time horizon? And then, you know, in your wildest dreams, where does alt sports data fit within that? Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're starting what we kind of call shallow and wide of getting a foothold in, in a lot of sports, but the deeper we're, we can get into these sports and innovate and create more meaningful in-play bets and and visualization tools and and looking at machine learning and AI and player data that that we can integrate in, into our bets is is obviously where the industry is starting to go and and we're definitely being mindful of that and ensuring we have uh, Web three experts that that we're talking to on on what that that opportunity looks like. So I think it's how we expand not only horizontally but also vertically into each one of these sports. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, whether we're a new radar or genius on the market that's, that's maybe focused on, on a younger audience or we become, you know, a piece of one of those organizations, I think both are, are potentials over the next three to five years that, that we're open to. We're not building this company to flip, but at the same time, we're, we're open to it and know that there's a couple big players in the space that we potentially become a great ally and asset to. So. 
the standard closing question, Todd, the hardest question out of all of these, uh, which is this, if you weren't working on alt sports data, if you weren't doing anything in marketing, if you haven't done any of your previous careers at GoPro or otherwise in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead? Yeah, you know, you gave me a heads up on this question and I had a lot of anxiety around it. You know, I honestly, I I probably have a bike shop. I probably have oh. a bike shop somewhere. And, you know, I'm a I'm an avid cyclist. I grew up racing bikes and um, that's been a, a love-hate relationship I've had my entire life. And some of my fondest memories are as a teenager working in bike shops. And, you know, I love engaging with people every day and, and being faced with new new situations and new opportunities. And I think, yeah, work, working at a, or owning a bike shop and, and talking shop and working with customers every day would be pretty, and it, you know, maybe it will happen someday. We'll see. So, I say, let's not, let's not uh, rule that out. <laughs> let's not rule it out. Absolutely. We can uh, talk that on, on another podcast. Yeah, no, I got a new bike for my birthday this past summer. And I have to say going into the shop to get it serviced for the first time, those are like literally some of the happiest people I, I've seen. Right. So uh, yeah, to your yeah. point, I think that sounds yeah. like a dream gig. I mean, surf shops, bike shop, right. Bikes. People that have built built their careers around their their life's passions and and uh, I guess the least amount of daylight between your personal life and your professional life is is a good key to success. So, hundred percent, Todd. Cool. Uh, for folks listening that might want to learn more about alt sports data and or get in touch with yourself, how would you best suggest they go about doing that? Yeah, altsportsdata.com is is the best spot. You know, you can find me on on LinkedIn and um, we have a, a connect uh, button on on our website as well. So. Um, look at we're we're looking to to meet and connect with as many bright and great people as we possibly can. And um, to date, the the industry's been very accepting of us, and and uh, we appreciate all those people that have helped us get to this point, and would love to meet more. So thanks for uh, the platform. It's been great having you on and and learning more about the story, and really wishing you and the team all the best in the months ahead, and look forward to continuing to keep in touch. Great, appreciate it, Jesse.